It's become a tradition on speaking out to end the year by asking one of our most revered elders about her thoughts on the year that's been. Auntie Pat's Year in Review gives us a chance to delve into the big issues from someone who's been in the middle of it. Auntie Pat, welcome back once again. This has been quite a year, so it's a real privilege to have your insights since you've been right in the thick of many of the things we're going to analyse. The most significant moment in Indigenous affairs this past year has no doubt been the referendum on an Indigenous voice to Parliament. You were deeply involved in the design of it. How do you explain the referendum referendum result, honey, Pat? I don't really think it's right that Aboriginal people are asked to explain it or to say what went wrong because really we only make up 3% of the population and somehow it assumes that, you know, by me explaining it, that we were at fault and that it was our responsibility to educate all the Australian people who were to vote to convince them about why we should have a a constitutionally protected voice. And I think, you know, there are a lot of others who were responsible for that. But what I do know is so many of our people are now grieving and struggling to understand their place in our own country, and that's really bad. But in this grief, as I said previously, it is important that our young people really know that they are so loved and that they should be so proud of their Aboriginal identity. I know I hugged my grannies a little tighter in the last few weeks, and we all must continue to do that. Oh, there's some very good words. I know how downcast many people have been, and I think that sort of messaging will mean a lot. Where do you think things will go from here? Well, we know that Aboriginal people overwhelmingly voted for a voice. You know, we voted for change, and to improve our life outcomes. And I, as the lead convener of the Coalition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Community-Controlled Peak Organisations, and as CEO of NACHO, remain resolute in my commitment and dedication to bring about the change our communities voted for. And that's the change in our life outcomes, where our people have a real say in shared decision-making, And so with the Coalition of Pegs, I'm squarely focused on the full implementation of the National Agreement on Closing the Gap. I want to see all governments fully implement the National Agreement that we have on Closing the Gap so that we can see shared decision-making between governments and our communities and organisations on matters that impact on us and so that we can get funding going directly to our communities and our organisations that deliver much better services to our people. We have the political support for the National Agreement, Larissa, including bipartisan support, and really, we just need to get on with it. Let me ask you a few more things just digging into that, because obviously now that's a key agenda. What needs to happen next with Closing the Gap? Well, I've written to the Albanese government on behalf of the Peaks, with some proposals on how they could accelerate their efforts on closing the gap post the referendum. Central to the proposals we have provided to the government is that we need funding to get to our communities urgently. And I want to see this happen in two main ways. First, I want to see a closing the gap fund established, set up by the Commonwealth where state and territory governments can also contribute. You know, we haven't had a huge injection of support to support closing the gap since 2008 when it was around $5 billion. That fund would support community-driven and led initiatives to close the gap. And in line with the National Agreement on Closing the Gap, 
decisions would be made through shared decision-making arrangements at the community level between government and our representatives. Secondly, we need to make sure that the really big funding agreements between the Commonwealth and state and territory governments in areas like housing, education and health are doing much more for closing the gap. So these are ongoing agreements where the Commonwealth gives all this money to the states and the states generally just do what they want to do with it and there's very little transparency. So some funding in these arrangements needs to be squarely directed at closing the gap. This is what the national agreement says, and we need transparency, as I said, over all the funding so we can see how it is being spent. Now, the recently announced national skills agreement is the first agreement of its kind to represent the national agreement on closing the gap. And we need to see this much better improved in the housing and homelessness and the schools reform agreements that are now being negotiated. So the national agreement will also be resigned, re-signed by the national cabinet to demonstrate their ongoing commitment. And I am hopeful that at the same time, national cabinet can commit to ensuring funding from the big mainstream agreements that will definitely reach our people. I'm also hopeful that a new Closing the Gap Fund can be developed and then announced with the annual Closing the Gap Statement in February next year. So they're the proposals that I'm wanting to see uh, put forward, uh, come to fruition. From your perspective, Arnie Pat, why has progress been slow on the national agreement? Yes, the wheels of bureaucracy churn ever so slowly. (laughs) (laughs) It is important, I think, to note, though, that there has been some significant progress and reform underway because of the national agreement and the negotiations of the coalition of PECs. So we have established shared decision-making arrangements in all states and territories where our community-controlled representatives are sitting down with senior government officials to agree what steps are needed on closing the gap. In the Territory, in the Northern Territory, our peak organisations are negotiating with the Northern Territory and Commonwealth Government on the next phase of investment in remote communities. This is the funding that initially came with the intervention, the dreaded intervention, which we remember very well. We sure do. And uh, it will be the first time our leaders are at the table with government having a say on what the money should be spent on and how. In New South Wales, our community-controlled organisations are working on doing this with the government to make sure all community-controlled organisations are able to negotiate directly with their funding bodies, you know, so that's good, and make sure that they can all participate in their shared decision-making arrangements with governments. This is not just for members of the Coalition of Peaks. This is for all Aboriginal people to, and Torres Strait Islander people to take on when they're contacted by government or they're contacting government to try and get support, you know. So at the Commonwealth level, I have to say that we, the Peaks, have been doing the heavy lifting to ensure our people are properly supported by big funding agreements and arrangements, including the Housing Australia Future Fund, the Housing and Homelessness National Agreement and the Social Housing Accelerator Fund. Now, these funds and agreements have billions of dollars in them. And so far, only 200 million out of those billions has been earmarked for refurbishment of Aboriginal housing. This is simply not good enough, Larissa. 
Housing is an absolute priority for our people and I'm really so proud and commend the people of Santa Teresa for the recent High Court's decision on housing. This decision makes it clear that governments need to be doing so much more on housing and accord the priority to Aboriginal housing because we were the people who took the initiative to take that matter to the High Court. The Coalition of Peaks are also developing with the Commonwealth uh, proposals to ensure these funds contribute fully to closing the gap and I want National Cabinet to deal with this matter in December this year. Well, they're on notice now, Aunty Pat. They are, darling, yes. <laughs> How do you think the government will respond to the post-referendum proposal? Well, reform takes time, as we know, and the Coalition of Peaks are doing the heavy lifting at the moment. In addition to the work in each uh, jurisdiction, the Coalition of Peaks would have been meeting with the cabinets of every state and territory this year to ensure all governments and every minister understands their obligations and commitments under the Closing the Gap Agreement and can work through any issues with us in partnership. So I am hopeful also that the Coalition of Peaks will present to the Commonwealth Cabinet shortly, jointly with Minister Burney. So we really need the Commonwealth to step up and make some significant change to the way they work and commit some serious funding. But what I do want all the listeners to hear and remind them is, after the 67 referendum, we all expected the Commonwealth to take a clear leadership role in Aboriginal affairs. And they did, but they also had this thing about having all these, you know, grey agreements with the states and so they could buck pass when it came to responsibility for doing this and that. And they're, they're doing that and that worsened under the coalition government for the 10 years at uh, the Commonwealth level. But I really think that we can see a change uh, coming with the seriousness of the Albanese government. So... I think he will do what is needed, the Albanese government. I think the Prime Minister went to the referendum to give our people a voice and he wouldn't have done that if he wasn't committed to seeing improvements in the lives of our people right across the country. What should happen next with the Uluru Statement, Aunty Pat? Well, everyone's talking about, you know, the government needs to set up regional and local voices, but I think we need to do that ourselves. I'm really serious about this. Why do we only react when the government, you know, wants us to react to give the government advice? Why can't our people just set up their own local and regional voices? Because they've got many issues that have to be dealt with for communities to grow and prosper than just giving the government advice. There's lots of different uh, stakeholders that they could engage with. So I really want to see our people set up their own forums where they can work out issues of importance to our people. That's the first thing I want to see. And if they need money, well, they can go to the big companies and the philanthropics and get money. But don't don't just be there to, you know, advise a government. It's not the only thing that our people should be doing. They should be exercising their full self-determination and having our own voices run on our terms and not let the government take them over by just relying on that process. I mean, if the government wants advice, they can pay for the negotiations for that advice. But I also think it's very important that there is a proper process to bring Aboriginal people together 
to agree what happens next on the Uluru Statement. And that was always more than a voice. It is clear, in my opinion, from the referendum outcome, that Australia needs a truth-telling process on our collective history and on the constitution itself, how it works and how it was developed. So a civil, a civic education campaign um, for all Australians and also all Australians need to, you know, know about a truth-telling process and, and what the real truth of the history of this country is. You know, of course, what form that all takes should be a negotiation between the government and the community reps, and that's going to take time. But in the meantime, Larissa, I think we urgently need to get on with closing the gap. And I want to see funding of our communities hitting the ground now. That's the most important thing. That's where the change is going to be noticed and must be noticed because we can't have our people in 2023 still living in third world conditions right throughout Australia, not just in remote areas. There's parts of New South Wales that are appalling housing for our people and in other places around the country. So, you know, I don't just talk about remote, but I know the urgency of remote because the services are so scarce out there, you know. So that's what I think needs to happen. Well, Arnie, Pat, you've worked at the heart of Indigenous affairs for decades and you've seen some highs and some lows. How do you reflect on the state of the sector currently and are you optimistic at this moment? (laughs) That's a hard question to answer after the disaster of the referendum. Yes, but you've got lots of Um, ideas and a plan. We do. We do, darling. And that's, you know, the resilience of our people, isn't it? I have optimism in our resilience. I have optimism in our culture and and the strength that we draw from that. I do want to, our people to... um, reflect on those strengths from our old people and from our culture and from our families and, you know, show the respect and the courtesy to each other and the love, you know. I am optimistic uh, because we can't afford not to be, you know. I think, you know, as long as we've got the Albanese government, we will be on a better pathway. Let me say that. You've already given us some great pearls of wisdom and some lovely messages, but each year when we've done Arnie Pat's Year in Review, you've ended with a lovely message for our listeners, and I wondered if there were any other words you'd like to share with them. Yes. Well, of course, I'd like to wish everybody a very safe and happy festive season. You know, it's the time to really share the love amongst our families, and I'm dead serious about that. We can't allow tensions and, and you know, things that happened years ago to disrupt uh, what should be a nice, peaceful and joyous time to spend with our families and especially our children, you know. I want that. I want people to reflect seriously on what they can do to set up their own voices or, you know, I mean, actually, I don't really want to use the word voice anymore because I think it distracts, you know. I think, though... Our own self-determination bodies, uh, our own bodies that will pursue our self-determination in the way that people decide at the local and regional levels, you know, and government's just one element of that. And do that independently of government, not, 
you know, wait for government to come and say, well, we want to set up a regional or national or whatever voice and we'll do it this way. This is what we want you to do. I want our people to work that out for themselves. But I do want to say that our strength of character and our determination to achieve the justice and the human rights and a fair go in our own country is what we're all striving for and we should remember that in the work that we continue to do in the years ahead. And I hope everyone has a wonderful Christmas and New Year, love. Arnie Pat, thank you so much for all the energy and strength you've brought to all of the important work you've done this year. It's been a heck of a year in Indigenous affairs and you've been, as I said, right there in the middle of it. You've done it with grace, with dignity and with such wisdom. You give us all strength. Thank you so much for everything you do and for being with us on Speaking Out. Well, thank you. And for the excellent radio program that you run, Larissa, which I listen to uh, with great uh, anticipation. And I just find it so interesting, the amazing people that you get on and what we learn from those interviews. So I really appreciate that too. Thank you, Arnie Pat. That means a lot to us. You take care. Thank you, love. Bye. That CEO of the National Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation, NACHO, and Chair of the Coalition of Peaks, Arnie Pat Turner.